welcome to the latest Fifth Step podcast. Uh, today I'll be talking to Fifth Step CEO Darren Ray. Uh, the topic for our podcast today is the future of insurance. So pretty wide and uh, encompassing pro- um, topic for debate Good. there. Then. A very short uh, podcast. Take us. Don't worry listeners, it'll only take us a couple of hours. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll keep it brief. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I mean, you know, we, we go to a lot of um, conferences. I, you know, we watch uh, various industry panellists and speakers talking, you know, giving out dire warnings about the insurance industry losing its lunch, which is obviously a very much a key concern for the, <laughs> yeah, the, average, the average underwriter or broker in the London market. So Absolutely. That comes up quite a lot. Um, but, you know, the majority of people are saying that, you know, the, the insurance industry is going to have to change and adapt um, over the next five to ten to even 20 years. Uh, react to the challenges in technology. So uh, you know, is there you know, are we likely to see a, a, a new Uber for insurance anytime soon in the insurance world? Yeah, I think so, Chris. So what I wanted to do was try and set out not the long-term future of insurance because most people appreciate exactly what you've said. Insurance is going to have to adapt. It's going to have to change. It's going to have to understand the new technology, whether that be driverless cars and the challenges that they offer to insurance companies or some other aspect. But there are going to be big changes that the insurance companies are going to have to make over the next 20, 30 years. What I wanted to try and do is set out what I believe are some key predictions for the next five years and give organisations some sensible things that they can, that they can do. And talk about some, where, some places where some of those challenges are going to come from. So to your point, the Uberization of insurance is very much a, a key aspect there are lots of startup organisations. You know, we hear the terms insurtech and fintech being banded around quite liberally, liberally at those conferences that we attend. And you know, certainly when I'm speaking to CEOs and business leaders, particularly those in insurance, many of them are talking about those kinds of terms. And those organisations are there to be disruptive. We talk about Uber because... Uber has been very disruptive and they haven't really done anything overly clever. They've just leveraged the new technology that's there in the form of the smartphone. Mm. And what they've done is they've said ordering a cab shouldn't be about standing on a street corner, waving your arm or even necessarily making a phone call and booking a cab to come to your house. It should be about using your smartphone because everyone has their smartphone. And then there's lots of additional services that can be built on top, you know, such as telling you where the, the car is, how long, how far away it is from you, and those kinds of additional things. Mm. So they're the changes that the insurance industry has to be able to face and understand, and understand the ramifications of, and to be able to prepare for, most importantly, the disruptive um, aspects. So who is going to come along or threatens to come along and eat you know, insurance companies' lunch, to mm. use your, uh, Indeed. Indeed. your term? So what sort of trajectory are, are we likely to be looking at here? Is it going to be, I'm just thinking about, you know, um, you know back to the future type of thing, where you have, <laughs> you know, the old DeLorean, you know, going through space and time and it comes back and then the next thing you know, it's, it's flying, you know, it's actually taking off and flying. Are we, are, are we talking about, you know, sort of a vertical takeoff for new sort of fintech and insurtech products? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I like your mixture of metaphors there, from lunch to uh, back to the future. Yeah, I think that the, some of the greatest challenges insurance companies face today are from startup organisations because they don't carry the baggage. Mm. Um, and I think most 
insurers and underwriters and those involved in the insurance industry would say that if we were to start again and invent insurance today, mm. we wouldn't start or aim to create the product that's in you know that's in play today that, that people go and buy today that yeah. it would be um a you different blank product. slate is what you're saying yeah you absolutely scratch, yeah. and that's exactly what startup organizations in fintech and insurtech are doing they're start, they're saying right well where is the greatest money to be made where can we be the most direct di- uh, disruptive and how can we start from a blank slate without the baggage that insurance companies, you know, around the world carry at the moment. So when it um, comes when it comes to insurance products, uh, and so what's what's your your first prediction then for the next five years? So I I think that the next five years will see um, consumer lines products particularly being um, ever more disrupted. We've already seen um, some of that disruption in the past um, you know ten years with. Um, you know, consumer websites and uh, comparison websites disrupting those areas particularly. But I think that InsureTech and FinTech is going to disrupt and target some of those direct-to-consumer products um, uh, probably first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in terms of, you know, um, you know markets mature you know, and evolve and they go through defined stages, so, you know, what, what, what are we talking about when it, comes, <clears throat> when it comes to new entrants to the insurance market? Yeah, you're right. Um, as markets mature, uh, they become ripe for disruption, and that goes back to the Uberization that we were talking about just a moment ago. But it also makes them starts to make them more attractive for potentially well-funded um, competitors, new entrants from other sectors. I've spoken to you know, years have expressed concern are kind of come in and they're going to be um, turned to insurance because with all of their data and what they know uh, they'd be after understanding the risk Mm. and I don't doubt that Google has a lot of useful information I don't see Google being the I don't know if I mentioned this to you. And she was talking about applications. She they encountered a, a reinsurance company, trick mm. insurance, mm-hmm. way of in, um, indemnifying sort of products. Uh, yeah, it leads to faster claims payouts and you know. Yep, and uh, that's sort of, that's sort of all that clever sorts of stuff. Mm. So they they were definitely expressing an interest there. But funny enough, working with a reinsurance carrier. Absolutely, I think that's going to be the difference. In is that they will, um, I think that Google will sit on the sidelines more. They'll prote- uh, potentially work with and supplement existing existing organisations within the market. I don't see any great hunger or desire from Google to actually enter that market though and to come in and be a, an insurer or a reinsurer in their own right. Mm-hmm. I just don't see they have that uh, that desire. They're more data orientated people so they can actually provide the data and then let other organisations turn it into information. So it'd be more of a partnership model for them. I believe so, yeah, I believe so. So but you reckon potentially someone like Amazon though will go more direct, is that the... Amazon I think is the greatest threat or the greater threat mm-hmm. to the insurance and reinsurance sector. Now, let me explain why that is. Um, they have a great relationship with their customer base. Um, they have you know, millions of customers around uh, the world, millions of customers who, for whom 
Amazon is their their first choice. You know, they'll shop from Amazon and then they'll go and look at elsewhere if they can't find the price or the product they're looking for. Mm. That's a great relationship to have with a customer to be able to extend your your product offering, which they've already done. You know, remembering that you know in the early two thousands, Amazon was a bookstore. Yeah. And they moved into music and they moved into other products, you know, slowly and gradually, but they now dominate that space to the detriment of the high street. So I see that Amazon is a you know is a great um, threat in that area. Now, if you combine that with the news, the relatively recent news that they have combined with um, Berkshire Hathaway and J.P. Morgan to um, uh, to create an organisation that's going to effectively self-insure its uh, its health insurance. Yeah. Um, they've also built um, bought um, an organisation called uh, Pillbox, I think it was. Um, uh, in the US, which is an online pharmaceutical company. And mm. they paid a billion dollars for that organisation. The thing is, though, with Amazon, they're so large. I mean, they're a trillion-dollar organisation, aren't they? I mean, they, they could buy the global reinsurance market probably twice over just from their, 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 their capital buffers that they've, that they've got. So is, is something insurance that... You know, are the margins there for them? Could they not make more profits doing other stuff? Or? I well, what I believe is that Jeff Bezos' ethos is around customer service, and I think he's looking for markets that underserve the customer, or where he can actually help dominate that market to provide a better customer service. And again, they don't carry the baggage that the insurance sector itself carries today mm. so there's a lot of um, challenge there and you put those two recent acquisi- or the acquisition and the deal that they've done with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan you put that together now that's all based around US health insurance to begin with they're saying that that's just a, an internal deal to me it sounds like looks like smells like a, a prototype deal mm. you know right, uh, right. Uh, let's see how we can make it work internally once we've got it working internally for our three organisations which aren't small organisations in themselves no, but no. once we've got it working for that uh, for that size organisation we'll be able to roll it out more gen- generally and either roll it out direct to consumer or roll it out to the SMB market well insurance companies reputations could hardly be lower could they really I mean uh, over the last like, you know well for m- many going back many years now certainly in the personal lines market but even in the, the, the major big tickets of London market risks that where you know, claims a query, you know, first thing it tends to happen is it goes to the lawyer before it gets approval from the, you know, the, the head of claims or underwriting. Yeah. Um, so, but also it occurred to me going on the slight side sidetrack, but surely you know banking uniform would be right for exploitation by the likes of you know, Amazon or, or Google. Oh, absolutely. I think there are many you know aspects of financial services that are potential targets for disruption and for new entrants. Um, you know, don't get me wrong; it's not all about the insurance companies. Um, but I thought we'd start talking about the insurance companies because um, they've perhaps evolved less. Yeah. Um, you know, if you take away the, the PCs, um, you know, the computers on the average underwriter's desk, if you take those away and just rely on the paper forms of contract, um, essentially the way that business is done and the way the contracts are written and the subjects of the contracts are pretty similar to what they were, you know, perhaps two or three hundred years ago. Mm. Um, you know, it's one of those few industries that you could almost bring an underwriter, you know, forward from, you know, the 1700s. Well, if you, if you ally that, I mean, there was an interesting, um, I think there's a guy from, um, what was the name, Oxford, Oxford Analytics, I think, or something like that. Um, I was giving a speech at the beginning of this year and he was talking about how, you know, he sees in the next couple of years it could... 
you know, humans can be taken out of the, you know, the pricing um, and the renewal process altogether. But simply Alexa talking directly to a smart car uh, and pricing the insurance product on a daily, if not hourly basis, depending on the changing circumstances of the road, the road journey. You wouldn't even know, you wouldn't have to renew or even tick a single box or, or fill out any form. Get all this stuff about dual pricing and whatever. I mean, you'll just have, you know, the insurance process will happen without your knowledge. And that's one of the natures of the changing uh, landscape that we live in in respect to insurance. You know, most people um, think that buying insurance on an annual basis is just the way that car insurance, motor insurance is done hmm. um, these days because that's all we've been used to. But increasingly, organisations and startups are looking at alternative ways of doing that and doing it so that it's priced for experience of the driver, etc., etc., and other data that they may, may perhaps have about that person. Yeah. Um, so all of those things can increase, you know, could be used as factors in the pricing of insurance. And, you know, real-time pricing for products like that, yeah, I can definitely see that that might be the case. And why would you want a human trying to balance that and, and work that out, why not have it algorithmically uh, created, whether that be artificial intelligence, which is an overplay, but having it is very much part of what we're talking about here, you know, the changing face. The only thing is, though, I mean, as you yourself have pointed out to me on many occasions, and I hate to go back to GDPR again, because everybody, <laughs> everybody thinks that's all over and done and dusted now, but, but one of the things that you mentioned under GDPR is that that's people have the right to have their uh, insurance um, calculated by a human, not a, not a yep. machine. So that, that's yep. going to be an issue, a regulatory issue. For, for these um, guys. It, yeah, it may well be, but they have to be able to... Um, they have to be able to review the case. So if they feel that their, their insurance coverage was unfairly priced mm. um, in comparison to... So if you and I um, you lived next door to one another and your insurance was... Uh, yeah, well, exactly. Yes, neighbour from hell. I'll have to live in Suffolk or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wild, godforsaken place it is you come from. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're going to come and get you, Chris. <laughs> uh, so, uh, leaving aside um, the uh, the rural uprising that lent in uh, Chris's death, <laughs> aside from that, the kinds of things that um, that. GDPR will be concentrated on in that respect is uh, being able to demonstrate, you know, organisations will have to demonstrate that actually these are the variables and the factors that, that went into the, the calculation. And in all honesty, it's likely to lead to more transparency in pricing as opposed to your know, random factors mm. and, you know, pricing hikes or increases that are, uh, you know, broadly speaking, very opaque to the end customer in insurance at the moment. Okay. So in terms of, well, what you're saying is, is correct and I've got no reason to, to doubt to doubt you whatsoever. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to be a new role for the existing participants in the in insurance marketplace, isn't that? Yeah, well, I think that's the third, I think that's the third uh, change, if you like, in the way that the future of insurance will... Insurance has changed, you know, much as, um, you know, we say, oh, you know, the 1800s or something like that. Insurance has changed and it has evolved, perhaps not as much as some other industries or sectors, but it has changed and evolved. 
Now, over the next few years, I think it's going to change and evolve again. And there's, you know, when we talk to and when we go to some of these insure tech and fintech events, initially, you know, when I first started going to these, you know, three plus years ago, I was actually quite surprised at the number of reinsurance companies who were sponsoring some of these events. Mm. And as I got you know, closer to these events and to some of the organisations that were, uh, you know, sponsoring or participating in these, um, you know, in these uh, in these evenings and lunch times. Um, what became apparent is actually many of the reinsurers are not only sponsoring the events, but they're actually running incubator um, services for many of the startups. Well, look at you know, um, you know, the B three I. Um, initiative that was set up by the, the world's biggest reinsurance mm. uh, organisations. It's basically a, a blockchain, um, yeah. you know, uh, pro- no, product. Um, they, and they've brought on board twenty five or thirty other people now, and that was that was unveiled at Monte Carlo only a couple of years ago. So certainly, the reinsurers do seem to be ahead of the curve. Yeah, well, I think the reinsurers are taking the initiative, and the greatest threat, not to all carriers, but to some carriers, is actually they may be the victim of the disintermediate. This intermediarisation. This is where using words with four syllables never go. <laughs> mean, you know, we should restrict you to two. Really, yeah, right? yeah. But, well, <laughs> they may be the victim of this disintermediarisation. The, the we're basically saying they won't be brokers anymore. Well, no, they may not be insurance. All of the insurance carriers may not necessarily make it either, because you know some of the bigger um, carriers are also sponsoring these events and also running incubators as a you know defence. Um, against the you know the changing market and um, also as a, a part of their innovation capability, so those organisations are doing that now. The the reasons they do that and the benefits for them doing that are actually very wide and varied, but essentially it means they get you know first refusal very often on investment in some of these new technologies, and they get to see them and to develop them uh, and to help them develop in certain ways that are beneficial to them and disadvantageous to you know other carriers or reinsurers etc so i think the the changing role of the current players the you know the current incumbents if you like you know over the next 5 years there are going to be changes in those roles and that's going to mean that some reinsurers are going to become potentially more like um, you know, traditional insurance companies, yeah, yeah. and some insurance companies are perhaps going to, you know, disappear or be subsumed into, or maybe they'll just specialise. Maybe go into sort of more niche areas. I would have thought that's going to be, and that's a possibility too, for sure. Yeah. You know I mean? yeah. So in this environment, then, so what should insurers and reinsurers do? Oh, that's a really good question. There's a couple of um, suggestions that we've uh, that we've come up with, but I think the um, the primary one has got to be initially reduced costs. We've seen many insurers, for example, you know, running with very high uh, combined ratios, meaning that they're not profitable, mm. perhaps at all, or they're barely profitable. Um, so reducing costs. Now that's important because they need to have um, money to be able to fund things like innovation. They need to be able to uh, perhaps fund incubator um, functions uh, to help seed some of their innovation. But they also need money to be able to become more efficient. And that's one of the things that I don't believe that insurance companies have done terribly well of late. You know, more costs have piled on, and that's meant that their 
combined ratios, their you know their costs against their return, their profit margins essentially have been uh, forever squeezed. And I mm. think it's time for insurance companies to look at that, not just from the perspective of co cutting costs, yeah, um, more you. about um, you know, business process well, freeing up costs to, 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 to unleash the extra capital to invest in innovation that's the thing to explore new opportunities yes think, absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely yeah uh, uh, and becoming uh, and obviously it goes without saying you know, the whole you know, way, the way forward is about becoming innovative isn't it it's, a, it's an overused word in, in the current market but it is. It is about innovation, though, and it's about innovation through your um, through your own means, and indeed investing in innovation, whether that be incubator labs or um, um, you're working with the fintech and the insurtech industry, investing in some of those startups and uh, buying innovation in that respect. But whilst you're buying innovation, that's all well and good. But actually, someone needs to be uh, reinventing and help reinvent the organisation as a whole. So what next? What else? What else? Um, well, leading on from that, the you know reinventing yourself. Um, one of the key phrases that I like, or key pieces of advice I like to give in those kind of scenarios, is you know invent your competition because if you don't invent your competition or don't become your competition, then someone else is perfectly willing to step into that mm -hmm. uh, that position. So make sure that you're out there, you know, innovating, reinventing your. Um, yourself become your competition and you know through that process of cutting costs becoming more efficient replace, replacing legacy systems for example that's a big one I think for the insurance companies the, the drag that uh, legacy systems place on organisations in this sector is um, actually quite you know, quite large and quite a, uh, a difficult thing to uh, to overcome because it makes them less agile yeah, yeah. Well, what about stuff like data, granularity, and you know, management information? Yeah, uh, absolutely critical to have um, your know, good data, but being able to turn that into you know the key phrase that you used there, uh, Chris, was information. You know, management information, but the critical phrase there is information. Many people think that data and information are um, the same or very similar, but uh, what you need is lots of data. Um, to inform you and actually to be able to turn that into information and into the actions you need to take to make better business decisions, better underwriting decisions, you know, be better change decisions, better investment decisions too. If you're an underwriter in, in this current market though, looking to ahead to the next three or four years, and you may have been someone who's you know, been a, a, quite a, a traditional underwriter, should we say, relied on gut in instinct, I mean, you've probably got quite a lot, a lot to be afraid of, don't you? Well, uh, well, look. I never, I never like to spout the um, the the negative side of things and talk about um, you know fear or fear purchasing or reacting because of fear. I think there's lots of opportunity out there to change things. So if you have been a traditional underwriter, you've got a great deal of knowledge and a great deal of experience that you can bring to this new world. But be open-minded enough to understand how the world is changing and how your place. Uh, within that new world can be very very much established. It doesn't have to you know disappear, and you don't have to you know necessarily be concerned that your job is going to disappear or any of those kinds of things. But you need to be open minded enough and getting on board with the changes and actually help those changes um, you know be implemented and take place in order to you know be a useful member of the team rather than being the you know the person sitting on the sidelines saying oh it'll never happen um, you know and they're the last person. Um, 
you know, I was going to use a Titanic reference, but the last <laughs> person, uh, you know, um, you know, singing that tune, if you like, as the you know, uh, as the department closes. Yeah. So, you know, get on board with uh, some of the changes, be open-minded and offer your knowledge and expertise and help the organisation adapt and change for the future rather than trying to hold it back and pretend that, you know, we can stay in the, you know, in this era where we are now uh, forever because we can't, because others will come along and make those changes for us if, you know, if we don't make those changes ourselves. Okay, understood, understood. So that was Darren Ray talking about the, the brave new world of, uh, the, of, of insurance, um, which you know, it sounds like a huge amount of opportunities are out there, I would say. And uh, I think some, some wise words there about how people need to you know, look at their job roles and start to think about how they can adapt to this new world that we're, yeah. we're going through. So yeah. uh, thanks, Darren. Um, very uh, informative and uh, enlightening as, as ever. Um, if you want to hear more, uh, um, hear more of our podcasts, um, you can download them quite easily. If you go to our website, which is www.fifthstep.com, that's uh, F-I-F-T-H-S-T-E-P.com, uh, well, you'll find lots of other sort of um, informative blogs and uh, yeah, YouTube, blogs and YouTube, YouTube, videos, YouTube videos, videos and podcasts and, 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 and yeah lots of other um, thought leadership there so yeah please do stop by um, and come and visit us on uh, social media as well we um, we're regularly um, putting out content on LinkedIn predominantly and, but also on Twitter and you can find us by searching for fifth step um, on Twitter we're at fifth step and on LinkedIn if you search for fifth step or fifth fifth step limited um, you'll find us Excellent. Okay, thanks a lot, Darren. Yeah, thanks, Chris.